You know, when I was growing up, if you were a lady 75 years or older who wanted to kind of become like a pop culture icon, uh, you had one of three choices when I was growing up. Um, the, the first one was you could ask the question, where's the beef? Um, if, if you were an older lady who wanted to be remembered forever, you could ask the question, where's the beef? And, and you would be for people like between the ages of probably 25 and 55, like we're, we're not going to forget the where's the beef lady. Uh, or possibly you could be the lady that stole from Jim Carrey on Dumb and Dumber, who he had the famous line to as, as he asked her to, you know, watch his, watch his wallet for him. He said, you know, old people, although slow and dangerous behind the wheel, can actually serve a purpose. And she smiled at him. And when he left, she just robbed him and took everything that he had. Uh, so you could have you been her and you could have been remembered by a generation. Uh, but my favorite was a retired nurse by the name of Edith Lore who fell down and asked the question, made the statement in her life alert button, I'm falling and I can't get up. Believe it or not, that statement, I'm falling and I can't get up, is one of the best lines that any Christian can ever remember as they try to navigate the spiritual battles and the spiritual warfare of their life. There may be no better prayer to remember, to memorize, to say in moments of spiritual battle, then God, I'm fallen and I don't feel like I can get up. Because if you haven't already, take your sermon notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along. As we've taken four weeks to study this thought of border war, this thought of spiritual battles, this thought of spiritual warfare, here's the reality. Learning how to cry out to God in the face of spiritual battles is one of the most important lessons that we can learn. And last week, we learned some valuable stuff. We studied the spiritual armor last week. We learned that truth is really important, that righteousness is really important, that being ready is really important, that faith is really important, that salvation is really important. But on the screen behind me, I told you last week when I left off, I said, I'm going to come back to this verse. Because in Ephesians 6.18, not our key teaching text today, but a key text for this series, after Paul gives all the stuff that we need to to have, to know, to learn, to be equipped, to battle spiritually, he said this, and pray, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul's final advice to you and to me in spiritual battles was this, pray and keep on praying. His final advice when it comes to the spiritual battles that you and I face is this. Just pray and keep on praying. And what's interesting, if you grew up in church, and the thing I love about our church is a lot of the people in our church did not grow up in church. This is kind of their first church experience. So they don't think it's crazy when Slugger comes out to this like unbelievably loud song and starts throwing stuff into the crowd. They're like, that's awesome. There's other people in our church been in church all their life, and they, they're, they think that's heresy. And they're trying to figure out if they're ever going to come back because we had like a seven-foot cat on our stage throwing peanuts. And they're like, you know, I don't know that God would be pleased with that. He would. I asked him, and he, he actually likes the royals a lot. So he's okay with that. But people who have grown up in church, there's kind of three prayers that people know about. Even if, even if they don't have them memorized, they know about them. The Lord's prayer is kind of a big one that people know about. The prayer of Jabez is kind of a big one that people know about. And if you've, I mean, if you've really studied the life of Jesus, what's called the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane when the Bible says he was so stressed, he sweated drops of blood. Those three prayers in scripture are kind of the pinnacle of anyone who's ever studied prayer. 
And when I went back through those this week and looked at them, I learned that the greatest three prayers in the Bible all have something in common. They all pray against spiritual warfare. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 13, said, deliver us from the evil one. He actually taught us to pray that way. Pray that you'll be delivered from the evil one. In the prayer of Jabez, Jabez ends his prayer in 1 Chronicles 4, 10, God, keep me from evil. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying for you and I said in John 17, 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. So when we study the Bible, when we study prayer, when we just read other people's prayers, we see how important it is to pray against and to pray during spiritual warfare. But often it's something we forget. As a matter of fact, most people in the room this week have done a lot in their life to try to navigate some spiritual decisions, but you've done everything but pray. If I were to take a survey, and I won't, total guess, my guess is less than 10% of the people in this room have spent more than five minutes on their knees in prayer this week. Doesn't mean you don't love Jesus, doesn't mean you don't love God, doesn't mean you're not a Christian, doesn't mean you're not going to heaven when you die. It simply means we forget to pray. Like the most important basic lesson of dealing with the spiritual things in our life is to pray. And, and we, just, we just forget to pray. But when we look at what scripture teaches us about spiritual battle and spiritual warfare, we learn we have to pray. So if you have your Bible, go to Philippians chapter 4. Because we close this series on spiritual warfare, the realities of it, the remedies for it. And we talk about prayer. And in Philippians 4, the apostle Paul's writing to a church in Philippi. And he closes this book by talking about not just prayer, but the results of prayer. And man, it is awesome. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 say this. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we see two things. We see first the mindset of a strong Christian, and then we see the ministry of a strong God. When we pray, we see two things that happen. Your mind has to be shaped a specific way to pray the way you're supposed to pray. But then when we pray, the ministry of what happens in our life when we pray is unbelievable. So I want to show you today kind of how to offer a spiritual 911. Danielle asked me a very interesting question a few weeks ago since we've started our church. We've been kind of all over the world on mission trips, been to India a couple times, Israel a couple times, Africa. Church has been to Guatemala. Danielle in a couple weeks is going to Guatemala with a group of 20 pastor's wives from all over um, the country to go minister. And she asked me a question. She said, what do you, like we have 911, what do you dial on your phone if there's an emergency like in another country? And I said, I have no idea, like I've never even thought, I have no idea. She's like, well, if there's an emergency, who would you call? So I, I would probably dial 911. She said, well, does that work like in other places? I said, I have no clue. I literally, I've never thought about that. I would not know who to call in an emergency at this point. I mean, I've got State Department numbers, but no just kind of blanket 911 type stuff. I, I guess I call the embassy. I want to teach you today, because a lot of people, when, when you're in spiritual trouble, you don't know how to talk to God. Like, I would love to talk. I'd love to ask God to help me. I'm not quite sure how to do that. So how do you, how do you give a spiritual 911? That's the thought, not just of today, but the next six weeks in our church through our small group ministry. Let's look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. First, we see the mindset of a strong Christian. 
And on your, on your sermon notes, I want you to like circle or highlight the word strong because this is, this is where the apostle Paul is trying to head in his letter to the Philippians. Look at verse six. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul tells us three things there that the mindset of a strong Christian does. Now, here's the first thing you need to know. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi was to help them be strong spiritually. Like this was, this was why he wrote this letter. He wanted to help them to develop the mindset of being strong spiritually. If you have your Bible open, flip over like one page backwards to Philippians chapter 127. Because in Philippians 127, Paul gives like the theme of this letter and then he hits it again in Philippians 4.1. I just want you to see why Paul is trying to write and, and where this information comes in contextually. Paul says in Philippians 127, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm. Underline those words, stand firm in Philippians 127. I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So Paul sets his book up, Philippians 1. He's like, hey, how you doing? Here's how I'm doing. I just wanted to write to you because I want to help you stand firm spiritually. He ends his book, Philippians 4 verse 1, with this thought. He comes back to the exact same thought. Therefore... My brothers and sisters, Philippians 4.1, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. There it is again, underline it, circle it, highlight it, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. In Ephesians chapter 6 last week, the apostle Paul used the word stand four times. Paul was worried about Christians falling and not being able to get up spiritually. It bothered Paul that he started a church in Ephesus and some people fell there that didn't know how to get up spiritually. It bothered him that he started a church in Philippi and there were people who were falling and couldn't get up spiritually. So he wrote to them and he said, I want to teach you how to stay strong when life gets hard spiritually. I want to show you how to have the mindset of a strong Christian. And in Philippians 4, 6, he gives us three things that someone who stands strong spiritually can process. And I want to show you these because they're really interesting. He begins in Philippians 4, 6. He says, don't be anxious. He helps us understand that as Christians, we need to acknowledge and confront anxiety of spiritual warfare. How, Christian, how do I know if I'm under attack spiritually? Do you have any anxiety in your life? If you have any anxiety about anything in your life, this is a sign that you've got some spiritual wrestling going on inside of you. Because we said this last week, if you're a Christian, you have Jesus with his spirit living in you. The Old Testament referred to Jesus as the prince of... Peace. So if you have Jesus, you have peace. That, like, that's just that's a spiritual fact. If you have Jesus, you have peace. So if you don't feel peace, something is messing with your mind. Because if you have Jesus, you have peace because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So if you're a Christian who doesn't feel peace, something's going on that you need to stop and be aware of. Because anxiety is a foreign substance in the healthy DNA of a Christian. Paul said, Christians shouldn't be anxious. You have Jesus. So if you're anxious, you need to know how to respond. Anxiety is something that as a Christian, it, it has to work its way out of your body because of the spiritual things going on. When I was younger, my, like my very first job ever when I was 14 years old was at a lumber mill on the edge of, of my town. We, we called it a sawmill. It's a place where they would deliver in I mean, truckloads of the massive trees and they would bring them up and they would turn them into boards that you built houses with. 
And all day long, I would stack and unstack two by fours and four by sixes and two by eights. And just all day long, we were stacking and unstacking lumber. We were bundling it together and taking it apart. We were loading it on trucks and getting it off of trucks. And this is what I did for an entire summer. And we, we were always reminded to wear our gloves. Because when you're with wood, a lot, you can get splinters. And one day, like, I, I didn't have my gloves on. And they taught us instead of, you know, when, when you're stacking lumber, instead of, you know, trying to pull it or push it, they taught you just kind of how to roll it so it rolled easier. And I was rolling one day without my gloves on, and I got this massive splinter that kind of shot down inside my fingernail. I, I won't hold the finger up. It was this one. You see, when you, hold, when you point to this one, you always want to put the other ones down. I don't know why that is, but it was this one. And, like, this splinter was so long, like, I looked like Wolverine. Like, it, like it was sticking way out of my hand and I was like ah and I went to grab it and I broke it I broke it off like deep inside my hand and I couldn't find it and I went to the guy who was a friend of mine's dad who ran the sawmill and I was like I got a, like I got a piece of wood deep in my hand and he said one wear your gloves uh, and then he said don't worry it'll work itself out you, your body didn't keep wood it'll work its way out I thought, all right one day went by and it didn't work its way out Another day went by, didn't work its way out. Eventually, man, that finger swelled up. It turned red. It hurt so bad. I mean, it looked like I, like, like I was pregnant right there. Like there's just this growth that began to grow. And every day he'd say, it's, it's getting better. It'll work its way out. And one day I'm lifting with my friend Russ. Russ lived out in the country and we, he had a weight room in his barn. We were lifting in his barn. And I'll never remember, I was doing a set of, of preacher curls, which is like a curl bar and your elbows are on a bench. And like as I was curling with my hands gripped tighter on the spot, like I, I did a curl and my finger began to give birth to this tree. Like, like, as I, like as I was lifting up, I mean the most disgusting content you can ever imagine. Like this stuff started coming out and like this splinter just kept coming and coming. And like a half inch of this splinter, like we could have gone and planted it and it would have like built a house eventually. Like this splinter just slowly kind of peeked its way out and fell off and then it was gone and the guy was right my body is not built to keep a piece of wood deep in my knuckle it works as well anxiety is the same way spiritually if you're walking with Jesus anxiety cannot stay in your spiritual DNA because if you have Jesus you have peace and if you're not feeling peace anxiety is a sign that there's some infection in your spirit that has to be pushed out. So as Christians, if we can learn to understand moments of anxiety as moments of spiritual warfare in our heart and our head, we can get much closer to where the apostle Paul wants us to be, which is the second thought. Paul said, you have to learn. If you're going to be a strong Christian, you have to learn to respond to prayer in every situation. Anytime you're unsettled about anything, your first step has to be to pray. You have to learn to have a response of prayer in every situation. In the message version, which is a, it's a paraphrase, this not for the actual language, but it speaks good to the content of what's trying to happen. Philippians 4, 6 says, instead of worrying, pray. So you say, what should I pray about? Everything you're worried about. This is a great lesson. What should I pray about? Everything you're worried about. Just let that be your prayer life for the next week. As soon as you start to worry, just pray about that thing. Turn worry into worship by praying. Because I've said it before at our church, worry and worship take the same emotional muscle. Continual focus on the same thing over and over 
and over again. That's what worry is. Continual focus on the same thing over and over and over. That's what worship is. Continual focus on God over and over and over. So the thing you're worried about, just start praying about it. Think about it, but give it to God in prayer instead of figuring out how to control it yourself. So Paul says, learn to pray. And he says, give every prayer and petition. This word petition that Paul used, I love it because it tells us that God's not offended when we ask him for stuff. Petition is an urgent and diligent request for something needed. This would be like a legal seal that was needed back in the day that that the fastest courier had to get to the king or the courts to petition them for a specific request. Paul said, listen, anything you need, just tell God. Instead of worrying, pray. And pray approaching the thought of peace, not just the final product, which means this. Christian, I lost my job. Do I immediately stop and say, God, help me to find another job? You should. That's a petition. But you could also say, God, I've lost my job. I need you to give me peace in this situation. Not sure how this is going to turn out. You see, we pray for peace, not just the product. Because we don't know how God's going to work. We don't know when God is going to work. But if we'll pray for the thought of peace, God, I just, I don't know how this is going to work out, but God, I trust you. God, I'm really worried about this. I pray that you'll help me. God, I don't know who to send my resume to. If you'll pray through the lens of peace instead of product. God, I need 20 bucks. God, I don't have 20 bucks. Help me to be okay without that. Pray for the process of peace instead of the final product. God, comfort your heart. But I love what Paul says. If you're going to do this, you have to have a mindset of gratitude towards God. Not an attitude of grumbling. Because a lot of people struggle in their prayer life because all they do is really they kind of tell God off. In Philippians 2.14, Paul was so sincere on this point. It was actually the second time in his book he made it in Philippians 4.6. In Philippians 2.14, he just said this, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Like how great is that verse? Is that needed in your place of employment this, this week? Is that needed in your household this week? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Another translation says do everything without complaining. Hashtag that verse on your Twitter gram, right? And like, get, get, that, get, get that out there. Do everything without complaining. Do everything without grumbling. For God's sake, have a good attitude. The psalmist in the book of Psalm actually tells us that we always are supposed to approach God with gratitude. He uses the word thanksgiving in Psalm 104. 104. Enter his gates. If you're going to approach God, enter his gates with thanksgiving. You see, your attitude towards God will always control your approach to God when you pray. If you're disappointed with God, you're going to have an attitude of gratitude. Feel like God has let you down? Probably not going to have a great attitude of gratitude. Do you feel like God's holding out on you or that God's mad mad at you? Probably not going to be able to come to God with thanksgiving. But if you have this attitude of gratitude, if you have this mindset of gratitude, God, you've been so good. Man, in this thing, God, would you be good to me in this thing as well. Paul said, man, if you approach God with the right attitude, life will change forever. Have you ever done something nice for your children and had them respond with something other than an attitude of gratitude? Do any of you have children that sometimes have an attitude of grumbling rather than an attitude of gratitude? Or am I the only one who's ever gone through that? You know, there's a verse in the Old Testament. I try not to live my, my life by Old Testament standards usually. But there's a verse in the Old Testament that says if your kids are rebellious, like you should take them out and stone them and kill them. I've thought about that. I keep a little pile of rocks on my desk. And every now and then when my kids walk out, like I just want to, like just little ones. Just, you know, I know we're living in an era of grace, but just remember. It's like, you know, 
You do such good things for your kids and they're never pleased. Man, how often does God see us in that light? God's like, I've given you so much and it's never enough. So Paul says, don't be anxious, pray. But when you pray and ask God for things, man, do it with a heart of thanksgiving. Do it with a realization of everything he's done for you. That'll give you confidence that he'll do more for you in the future. We've said in our basically little lessons that we've been learning the last four weeks, that if we remember three words, it'll keep this process fresh in our life. Stop, drop, and roll. Try to give you a phrase that you know from somewhere else, and hopefully we can remember to apply it spiritually. Stop, drop, and roll. Stop. Stop and process anxiety. Anxiety, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to be anxious. Because I have Jesus, and if I have Jesus, I have peace. So I've got to stop and process my anxiety. I have to drop to my knees and have to pray in every situation. Instead of worrying, pray. And then I have to roll. I just have to keep living my life with gratitude for what God has done, with hope for what God might do. I just have to keep living my life. And if we'll do this, if this will be our mindset, then look what God will do. Number two, we see the ministry of a strong God in response to the mindset of a strong Christian. Look at verse 7. Paul says, if you will do this, verse 7, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we said last week, and I want to say it again so that we don't make light of this. There's no question from a biblical perspective that spiritual battles are real, that they're personal, and that they're difficult. We have to state that spiritual battles are real, they're personal, and they're difficult. However, God is stronger than any problem we'll ever face. Regardless of the difficulties in our life, God is stronger than any problem we will ever face. And for those of you who right now are going through some kind of extreme difficulty where this is difficult to believe that God is stronger than your problem, I want to give you two verses to to memorize, two verses to write in a Sharpie on your bathroom mirror, two verses to put on a note card and carry around with you, two verses to save in your phone or put one of them as a screensaver. For those of you who believe you're facing something more difficult than God can help you with, you need to remember John 16, 33, where Jesus told his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus didn't promise a life without difficulty. He just said, I'll help you through that difficulty. I'm greater than that difficulty. And then Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, knowing all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, Paul said, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the futures, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is stronger than any difficulty you'll ever face, according to Scripture. And if you develop a mindset of prayer in response to anxiety, I believe you'll find that to be true. According to Philippians 4-7, we learn two things. We learn that the ministry of a strong God in your life will result in unexplainable peace. Doesn't mean you're going to have a perfect life, but it means... You're going to have a peace in your life when you go through imperfect things. Last year, I spoke a few times at 
um, a fellowship of Christian athletes group that's, that's basically comprised of um, a, a bunch of old men. They call themselves the adult chapter of FCA. They're guys who don't play sports anymore, but they used to be heavily involved, coaches, athletes, and they invited me to come share my story with them over two weeks. So I went, and I was one of the only people in the room that was probably under, under 60, 65 bunch of great guys who've just loved Jesus their whole life and now they're retired and they kind of like to hang out with people that used to do the same thing as them. And I'm on their email chain. I keep getting their stuff. And last week, Mindy Corcoran came and spoke to this group of men and they shared her story over email this week. And when it landed in my inbox, I just read it and I thought, I don't know if I could do that. You see, Mindy Corcoran is the mother of the young man who was killed a few months ago at the Jewish Community Center. And she's the daughter of the grandfather who was killed with him. A mom who in the last year had her dad and her son murdered by some nut from the hills of Missouri. And she came and spoke to this group about that experience in her life the last year. And the email says she shared a lot of stories about her faith journey, her childhood, how she realized the presence of God had always been in her life, but how on that day, when her son and her dad were killed, as she was processing the news, she heard God speak to her heart, it's okay, they're with me now. And she said, that moment, that moment that day, when God spoke to my heart and said, they're with me now, gave me peace. And you know what I call that? It's unexplainable peace. You and I hear that and think, there's no way. How does someone make that up? That's unexplainable peace. I love the old King James translation, peace that passes understanding. Like there's a level of understanding we have about peace. And then there's the peace God gives and crazy stuff like that, that you just have to be close to God to experience. Peace that passes understandings and unexplainable peace. Paul said, learn how to pray and trust God, and you'll have an unexplainable peace in your life. And then Paul said, learn how to pray and trust God, and the ministry of a strong God in your life will result in an impenetrable heart and mind. Paul said, the peace of God will guard. That word guard was the Roman word garrison. It was not just like a rent-a-cop helping you. A garrison was a group of soldiers that would travel around a dignitary and they would usually surround him on four sides and they would be at least two columns deep, meaning this would make the United States Secret Service look like Boy Scouts compared to a Roman garrison. A Roman garrison was impenetrable. If you were being protected by a Roman garrison in your front, on your back, on either side, and several deep, you had guys guarding you, you couldn't be touched if you were guarded by a garrison, and that's the word Paul used. He said, if you'll do these things, God will garrison your heart and your mind. It'll be impenetrable. And it's funny because this is where we started and this is where we end this entire series. We've learned that according to scripture, Satan attacks our heart, our feelings. He attacks our mind through our thoughts. And for that very reason, Jesus defends those places, listen to this, when we pray. So the problem is, isn't the spiritual warfare. The problem is the lack of prayer in response to spiritual warfare. It's how the apostle Paul could say just a few verses down in Philippians 4.13 after teaching us how important prayer is. He said, listen, when I pray, I can do all things. 
through Christ who gives me strength. Evander Holyfield made that verse famous because he put it on his belt before he knocked out Mike Tyson and then he endured the whole ear-biting thing. And that kind of, you know, Philippians 4.13 meant, you know, I can beat up a bully. That's not what it meant. In the context of Philippians chapter 4, Paul's basically saying, when I pray, when I pray, I can get through anything and have peace. I, I, can, I can be okay. And I guess the greatest truth of spiritual warfare that we've learned in this series is Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. And when Jesus is in your life, that changes your eternity. It changes your past. And it can change your present if you have a relationship, an ongoing dialoguing relationship with Jesus. And because we believe Jesus changes everything, it's one of the reasons I think we're so excited for Easter at our church. Because we have a lot of people in our community, you have a lot of people in your life that the reality is this. If everything doesn't change, they're not going to have a good 2015. They're not going to have a good 2016. Their marriage is not going to make it. Their kids are, are not going to make it. There are some people in our community in our lives who need Jesus because they need some change. And it's why we print up little cards. And it's why we give them to you way in advance. And it's why we are begging you this week to invite someone to church on Easter Sunday. The, the latest surveys done said that nearly 88% of all people who are invited to church on Easter will say yes because they think people are supposed to go to church on Easter. Which means you've got almost a 90% chance if you invite somebody to church this week that they'll come. That number drops to less than 30 if you wait one more week. This is the week. So I've written on your sermon notes, as you process the thought that Jesus changes everything, don't be selfish with this thought. Who can you share that with? Who are you going to invite to JCI next Sunday? I've left three blanks, and guess what? There's no fill in the blanks on the screen for you. You're going to have to go home and think about these, and you're going to have to write these names in. I can't answer the question for you. But I want to tell you what Danielle and I are doing. We've got these little invite cards. Michelle, would you give me that little basket? And we've decided we don't just want to force a card in someone's hand and say, hey, come to church with us on Easter. But we spent 10 bucks on a little, on a little basket. I say we. Michelle did it. That's a lie. Forgive me for saying that. I, I, I probably won't make the other ones either. But I'm going to have some Easter baskets made. And we're going to go. We've got four neighbors that, we're, that we've been praying about inviting to church on Easter for a long time. And we're going to go give them just a little Easter basket and say, hey, ma'am, happy Easter. We celebrate Easter. Enjoy the candy. By the way, if you don't have any place to go to church on Easter, because everybody goes to church on Easter, we'd like to invite you to come with us. This wasn't my idea. This was actually an idea that I got from someone in our church who got invited to our church by someone who a few years ago took them a massive Christmas basket of stuff and said Merry Christmas and invited them to our church. And they showed up at our church and they said, we came because a friend of ours brought us a basket of stuff for Christmas and it had an invite card to the Christmas Eve service. And now they go to our church. See, when we realize Jesus changes everything and we know people who need some things changed, we figure out how to put two and two together. And Easter is the greatest time to do that. Now for us, let's get back to us, spiritual warfare. If you have Jesus but you don't have peace in the midst of your spiritual battles, you're missing prayer. That's it. If you have Jesus, but you don't have peace, you're missing prayer. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7 teaches as if we pray, we'll have peace. That's why. All of our small groups are getting ready to start. Some of them started last week, 40 days of prayer in our church. I told Pastor Ryan this morning, as much as I wanted to preach a message 
that taught you how to pray? Because most people say, okay, I know I need to start praying. I don't know how to do that. I can't do that in 35 minutes. At our, in a 35-minute sermon, I can't teach you how to pray. But over the next seven weeks, we have more than 30 small groups at our church who every time they meet, they'll be talking about how to pray. And for seven weeks, we're going to teach people how to pray. And we're going to ask people every day for 40 days to pray. When you look at the significance of the biblical importance of 40 days, we see people who needed rescued. God put them in an ark for 40 days. We see people who needed to understand God's word like Moses. God put them on a mountain for 40 days. We see people that needed spiritual rest like Elijah. God put them in a cave for 40 days. And we see that people who needed to establish a relationship with God like Jesus in the wilderness, God gave them 40 days. So we believe if you'll pray, Press into something spiritually for 40 days that it'll change your life spiritually. And I want to challenge you. If you realize today you need to pray, but you don't know how, join a small group for the next six weeks. So I, I don't know how to do that. You get your connection card on the back. You say, call me about a small group. I want to learn how to pray. And if you don't have time to go to a small group, you check that box anyway. And then when they call you, you say, okay, I don't think I can make small group every week, but can someone give me the curriculum? I need to learn how to pray. Because I have Jesus, but I don't have peace. And what I'm missing is prayer. The last four weeks, we've looked at the realities of and the remedies for the spiritual battles that we face. And here's what we found out. There's none tougher than Jesus. There's none bigger than our God. If we know how to face them, and if we'll do what Jesus says. Let's pray together.